0: When Debbie and I were dating, uh, she uh, was deeply in love with me. And I, uh, <laughs> it's important to say because she's put up with me for uh, over 32 years. But anyway, the idea was that she was so madly in love with me that uh, I was, we were living about 650 miles apart at the time. I was living in Missouri and she was uh, here in uh, Montgomery. And so, um, I would drive down about every six weeks. I could find work a weekend off, a, or a three-day weekend. I could get some time to drive down here. And, um, and so one of those times, she took a bus up to Memphis where I was passing through. She rode a bus all the way to Memphis just so I could pick her up, and she'd ride right back to Montgomery with me. I mean, she took a bus to Memphis to ride five hours in a car with me. That's not happening anymore. Anyway, but the idea is that... <laughs> But when you hear about people and you're in love and you're engaged, it's like, oh, yeah, I mean, if we just get five more hours together out of a weekend, heck yeah, because I want to be with you. You multiply that by 10 billion, that's how much the Lord desires to be with you and me. He sacrificed his own son on the cross to make all this possible, and this year in 2019, I mean, his desire is to be actively involved in every single part of our lives. It's not on his side if we're not involved, it's on our side. And today, I wanna talk with you how important it is that we understand this theological concept that God is with us. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, we are spending time at the beginning of this year looking at a number of things the Bible tells us about you, who you are, about your amazing love and your amazing character, And today, I pray that you remind us that you are with us. And Lord, you want us to be with you. I pray, Lord, that you will speak, that you will move me out of the way, and you will fill our hearts with great encouragement as we look at the year ahead. Pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. In your bulletin, you'll find an outline where I'm headed today entitled, God is with me, and that's point A. God is with me. Could we say that together, please? God is with me. Now, if we embrace that, that's really important because the Bible goes on to say this in Deuteronomy 31.8, the Lord himself goes before you and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Don't be afraid and don't be discouraged. That's Moses in the Old Testament. The children of Israel about to go into the promised land and Joshua is going to lead them. Moses it was his time. The Lord said, I'm taking you home, Moses. But Moses told the people, he said, don't be afraid. God is with you. He'll never leave you or forsake you. Was that a promise just to the children of Israel in the Old Testament? No. Matthew twenty-eight twenty, Jesus told his disciples, I want you to go make disciples of the whole world. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. And be sure of this. Say it with me. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God is with me. That is the whole reason Christ came is to make a relationship with God possible, to pay the penalty for our sins, open the curtain wide open that separated us sinful people from holy God. Now, that concept will change the way we view life, the way we view problems, the way we view relationships, the way we view the whole year to come. And that's why we're talking about it now, at the beginning of 2019, because there are some important decisions we need to make, because this is true. Here are a couple of reminders. First of all, God is with me in the good times. There are going to be good times that a bunch of us have this year. You may get a new job, you may get a new house, you may get married, have a baby, all kinds of good things. Well, God is with us in the good times. Um... Last year, my youngest son, Graham, graduated from college at Auburn, and Debbie and I were so proud of him, and he had asked me before uh, you know, about all this, he said, Dad, I'm graduating, do I really need to walk? And I go, oh, you bet you do, because <laughs> I have been your principal benefactor here, <laughs> and I want to see you walk that stage, and I want a photo with you in a cap and gown. It is, because this is something Debbie and I have prayed about for years, and I wanted our son to know that his father was with him celebrating this moment. Nehemiah knew about this. He had asked for the Lord's favor when he went to request from the king time away to go and help his own people in Jerusalem. Nehemiah 2, it says that, I replied, if it pleased the king, and if you're pleased with me, your servant... Send me to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. And the king granted these requests because the gracious hand of God was on me. And that's the way Debbie and I felt when we drove away from that graduation. Man, Lord, you have been good to us. All three of our sons have been able to graduate from college. And then we high-fived each other. No more tuition. Yeah. The gracious hand. But we think about this and we go, and the right thing to do in situations like here's the life application, we need to praise God for his goodness. This year when good times come, don't let the moment pass. God is with us. Praise him. Amen. When good things happen this year, when you when that baby comes, when the, when the new job is on the way, when you get a raise, whatever happens when the good things happen, praise the Lord. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things he does for me. He forgives all my sins, heals all my diseases, redeems me from death, crowns me with love and tender mercies, fills my life with good things. Well, tell him, celebrate him. And the Bible says the right application for you and me is to be ready to praise him. We can make up our minds about that. This year, last year in 2018, some of us might have waited all the way to Thanksgiving Day. Don't wait till Thanksgiving. Good things happen this week. Praise him right on the spot. God's with us in the good times. Secondly, God's with us in the hard times. We're going to have hard times this year, too. You and I would be foolish to think that we're only going to have good times in 2019. Jesus told disciples, you're going to have many troubles in this world. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world there's going to be hard times coming. When you go through deep waters, the prophet Isaiah said, uh, was quoting the Lord here, when you go through deep waters, say it with me, I will be with you. When you walk through rivers of difficulty, you won't drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you won't be burned up. The flames will not consume you. When our oldest son Cameron was learning to drive, he backed out of our drive one day and apparently there was some traffic coming that he hadn't seen and so he shifted the car into drive and jumped up on the curve and ran right over our neighbor's mailbox. Well, he picked up the pieces and put it on their front porch and wrote a note and said, this is Cameron. I ran over your mailbox. Um, I'll come see you after school today. And he went on to school. Well, later that evening, he and I uh, had to walk over to the neighbor's house. I mean, he was going to go over to the neighbor's house and talk to them about repairing, or, I mean, replacing their mailbox. And, um, uh, it was going to be something that he was kind of nervous about. He says, Dad, will you go with me? I am like, yep. So we started over there, and on the way over there, he was going, you know, Dad, I think actually their mailbox was a little too close to the street or whatever. So I go, okay, son, we're not going to lead with that. In fact, we're not even going to mention that, okay? We're just going to say, we're sorry, and I'm going to replace this. And he goes, I am? I go, oh, yeah, that's the way we're going to do. We walked in there, and he handled himself wonderfully. Took on some odd jobs and replaced that mailbox. On the way back to our house from the neighbor's house, he said, "Dad, thanks for going with me. Glad to go with you, son. I Was proud of the way you handled that. Hmm. When you go through deep waters, some of us are going to go have a hard conversation this year. Might have a job change. It doesn't go well. Might have a breakup in a relationship. Is God with you then?" Oh, yeah. Isaiah 41.10, don't be afraid, for I'm with you. Don't be discouraged, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I'll hold you up with my victorious right hand. I mean, I read this verse over and over again when our kids had a nightmare or they couldn't sleep at night, they had a bad dream, and they'd come in and wake us up and say, Dad, I can't sleep. We'd read that passage, and we'd talk about it and say, Is God with us? Yep. Well, I'm with you too, buddy. And I could sit there on the side of their bed till they fell asleep. God's with us. I'm not alone. David, Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Say it with me. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Do you know I could have put in dozens and dozens and dozens of passages where God is with us, God is with us, God is with us. Because in the hard times, we might even believe that pretty easily. I mean, the good times, we might believe that pretty easily. And the hard times, it's hard to trust that. But here's a life application for you and me. When those hard times come, we can choose right now how we're going to view them. One way to look at them is this. Hard times can become a gift if they drive me to depend on God. My goodness. Are you sure about that? Yep. Yep. The Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, that's what happened to him. Listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We think you ought to know, dear brothers and sisters, about the trouble we went through in the province of Asia. We were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we'd never live through it. In fact, we expected to die. I mean, things were going south in a hurry. But as a result, we stopped relying on ourselves and learned to rely only on God who raises the dead. And he did rescue us from mortal danger, and he'll rescue us again. So we've placed our confidence in him that he will continue to rescue us. Paul said, you know what? We thought we were going to die, but as it turned out, it was a good thing because we quit relying on our own puny strength. What about you and me? How are we going to handle it when hard times come? Are we going to call out to the Lord and trust that he's with us? And are we going to look at this and say, you know what, Lord? I don't know why this is happening. But Lord, If this is going to help me rely on you more, then I need to look at this as a gift because I get distracted. So God's with us in the good times. God's with us in the hard times. Thirdly, God's going to be with us in the wilderness times. By wilderness times, I mean when, you know, things haven't changed in a long time. We feel like we're just wandering around going nowhere. Prophet Elijah in the Old Testament, he felt that way. He had represented the Lord, and the Lord had done mighty miracles through him, but he was serving the Lord in a time where he took messages to a wicked king by the name of Ahab who had married a wife who was even more wicked than he was. The government was corrupt under the king, and the priesthood had become corrupt because of the wicked queen. She'd brought in all these priests of Baal. They literally worshipped a little statue with a thunderbolt that was the god of weather. And so God had sent a famine on the land for years, and Elijah had prophesied that. Rain didn't come until God had done a mighty series of miracles, and Elijah had been responsible for being a conduit for God's word and calling the people back to a revival. And when he did, they killed those prophets of Baal, hundreds of them. Well, that didn't sit well with that wicked queen Jezebel, and we're jumping in here in 1 Kings 19. Jezebel sent this message to Elijah, may the gods strike me and even kill me if by this time tomorrow I haven't killed you, just as you killed them, those priests of Baal. And Elijah was afraid and fled for his life, and so he went to Beersheba, a town in Judah, he left his servant there, and then he went on alone into the wilderness, traveling all day, and he sat down under a solitary broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Might as well kill me, Lord, I've had enough. You and I might go through a wilderness time that this, like that this year. I've had enough, Lord. I, I hate my job. I don't know where I'm supposed to work next. I have no direction. I've had enough, Lord. Lord, we've been dating for four years, and I don't know where this relationship's going to go. Lord, I just I want to move forward on some things in my life and my dreams, and I just I'm never going to get done with school. I'm never going to get caught up on my bills. Lord, I've had enough. A wilderness time. Well, that's where Elijah was. He said, Lord, I represented you in front of all those priests of Baal. Lord, you did miracles to me, and now this woman wants to kill me anyway. The government's corrupt, the priesthood is corrupt, I'm the only one left. I didn't put the whole chapter in here where those little three dots are after Elijah had said he had enough. God sent an angel and he gave Elijah some food and some water, let him rest. And then God took him on a journey and he said, well, Elijah, if you're going to try to find a solitary place, I'm going to take you to a really solitary place. And he took him 200 miles from where he was sitting under that broom tree to a cave on the side of Mount Sinai. And when he entered the cave, the Lord said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? He said, Lord, I'm the only one left. There's nobody else faithful to you. The said, Come outside and face of the mountain. Go out and stand before me on the mountain, the Lord said. And as Elijah stood there, the Lord passed by and a mighty windstorm hit the mountain. Such a terrible blast that rocks were torn loose. The Lord wasn't in the wind. And after the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, there was a fire. the Lord wasn't in the fire and after the fire there was a sound of a gentle whisper when Elijah heard that he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave and the voice said what are you doing here Elijah and Elijah went through the whole story again Lord the government's corrupt the priesthood's corrupt nobody's faithful just me and I said you got it all wrong Elijah there's 7,000 people haven't bowed down to Baal and I got things for you to do And in commentary after commentary, as I was studying this passage, they brought up again that the Lord showed a mighty display of his power with a windstorm and rocks being shaken loose and earthquakes and fires and all this. And yet he spoke to him in a gentle whisper. He was 200 miles from anywhere in a cave all by himself, and the Lord was with him. And immediately Elijah recognized the whisper. He was showing Elijah, I'm I'm in all kinds of places you don't know. I got all kinds of people you don't know. And when things get really, really hard, don't lose hope. Don't give up. I'm doing more than you could ever possibly imagine. And that's a life application for you and me. If we go through a wilderness time this next year, a good thing that we could learn from Elijah's example there is maybe we need to get by ourselves and get quiet because I'll be able to hear God better if I'm quiet and still. You know, when I'm going nowhere, we tend to fill up our lives with activities and more television, more social media, more stuff, and I just got to keep busy because if I keep busy, then I don't think about how miserable I am. Then I don't think about all the stuff I'm not doing and I don't think about all my disappointment. And the Lord says, no, get quiet. Listen to Isaiah chapter... uh, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 15. This is what the sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel says, only in returning to me and resting in me will you be saved. In quietness and confidence is your strength. But you would have none of it. Look, I'm gonna, I need to make a choice this year, so do you. When hard times come, I need to trust that God is with me. When good times come, I need to praise him. And when I'm wandering in the wilderness, the right thing to do is to sit still and get quiet and say, Lord, you spoke to Elijah, would you speak to me? Give me hope. Give me strength. Because I've had enough and I can't do this without you. Oh, this is God's desire for us this year because God is with us in the good times, in the bad times, in the wilderness. Now point B, I mean, it's true that God's with us, but the biggest implication that I want us to understand is this, is that because God is with us, I am not an orphan. Would you say that with me, please? I am not an orphan. And if you're wondering, what are you talking about? Well, listen to what Jesus told his disciples in John 14. He told them, hey, look, the chief priests and the Pharisees are going to put me on trial. They're going to condemn me to death. They're going to beat me and crucify me, and I'm going to die. They're going to place me in a tomb, and on the third day, I'm going to rise again. Then I'm going to ascend to heaven and go prepare a place for you. And when everything's ready, I'll come and get you. And the disciples were going, no, you can't leave, Jesus. Jesus, you can't leave. And he goes, no, it's good if I leave. Because if I leave, then I'm going to ask the Father to send the Holy Spirit to you, and he'll be with you. Listen to what he said. He said, I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, someone to walk alongside you. I've been walking alongside you for three and a half years. I'll send, he'll send you another advocate who will never leave you. I'm going to leave you now to go prepare a place for you. The Holy Spirit will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world can't receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now, and later he will be in you. I won't abandon you as orphans. I'll come to you. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I mean, this is so important that we understand this. Because to a non Christian, they're not looking for the Holy Spirit. They don't expect the Holy Spirit. They got to make everything out in their own lives and lead their own lives with their own strength. They don't even know that God helps people. But as believers, we need to embrace this and say, God is going to help me. He's going to guide me. He's going to empower me. This year, He is with me. Here's a life application. This means I must act and think like a child of God, not like I used to think. Paul, Romans 8, the spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Jesus from the dead, Christ Jesus from the dead, he'll give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For if you live by its dictates, you'll die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you'll live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you haven't received a Spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba Father. In the margin you can write Dad. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And He wants us to treat Him the way I wanted my sons to treat me. Dad, will you go with me? Sure. Dad, will you celebrate with me? Sure. Dad, will you pray with me? I'd love to. But all too often, we don't think of ourselves as children of God. We think of ourselves as spiritual orphans. Look, I put together a little chart here. And... It kind of separates these two things, but this, these are the characteristics I'm talking about. When I, I mean, there, everything on the left here side of a spiritual orphan is true of a non-believer, but it can also be true of those of us who've been Christians for a while and we've allowed, we've taken our focus off of God and we've tried to handle things in our own strength again. I mean, listen to some of these things. A spiritual orphan is independent and self-reliant. A child of God acknowledges his needs or her needs and asks God for help. A spiritual orphan is anxious and fearful, angry and frustrated because there's a lack of control. I can't control my boss. I can't control my kids. I can't control my job. Ah, It's too many variables. It's too complicated. So I'm frustrated all the time. Always angry, fits of rage type of thing. A child of God is secure and confident, peaceful and content because God's in control. I know, I mean, they're going through the same circumstances, but... I'm trusting God's going to show me what to do. A spiritual orphan is insecure and jealous of others. A child of God serves, celebrates, and helps others. I mean, think about it. An unbeliever is saying, nobody's looking out for you. you got to look out for yourself. And you got to push down the competition. And if we're not careful as believers, we can slide right back into that way of thinking again. A person who lives like a spiritual orphan is worried about what's mine. Child of God, there's always enough to share. Spiritual orphan feels unloved. Child of God knows here she is deeply loved. Spiritual orphan puts their identity in their accomplishments, their appearances, and possessions. Child of God, their identity is a relationship with God and others. Now, just look at this list. In 2018, which of these categories? Which of the? Which of these? list describes you most last year were you independent self-reliant or did you ask God for help regularly when a problem came up were you anxious fearful angry and frustrated or did you experience peace and contentment because you knew God was in control last year were you insecure and jealous of others or did you serve and celebrate it and were even happy when others had success that you didn't last year were you worried about what the future and what's yours or you said there's enough God will provide Did you feel unloved or know that you were deeply loved? Was your identity and your accomplishments that you had to earn everything on your own? Or did you trust in your identity in God that through his grace, he loves you and adopted you as his child? All too often, this describes not only the life of non-believers, but the life of many believers. And in 2019, we're not going to do that. A great lie of the devil is, well, Jesus may have saved your soul, but he left you here to slog through life on your own. Good luck. And by the way, you made a mess of 2018. You're not going to do better, any better in 2019. And don't go around trying to say, hey, you should pray about it. God doesn't answer prayer. Yes, he does. In fact, there are three important things we need to do this year to make sure that we keep thinking rightly about our identity, that we are children of God. We are not spiritual orphans. Number one you and I must, I must listen to my father by reading the Bible. God will guide us each and every day. The big reason we, uh, down at the bottom, there's resources from the Version Bible reading plan. We'll help you find a Bible reading plan. The big reason we want you to read your Bible every day is not so you can check a list and we get people involved in a bunch of Bible reading programs. The reason we read the Bible every day is the same reason I wanted my kids and I to have dinner every day so we could talk. This is God's word, and God's word, God will speak to us through his word and teach us what we need to know. 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All scriptures inspired by God, it's useful to teach us what's true and make us realize what's wrong in our lives. It corrects us from the wrong and teaches us to do what's right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work in 2019. But how on earth will I know God's word, how will I know God's direction for my life? How will I be equipped for every good work if I don't take any time, and spend time to listen to him. The other thing I need to do, secondly, I need to talk to my heavenly father about everything through prayer. The reason we want to pray, prayer isn't just an exercise that some very religious people do or something you just do before Thanksgiving meal. Prayer is an ongoing conversation. We make our requests to God In fact, David said it this way, my heart has heard you say, come and talk with me. And my heart responds, Lord, I'm coming. I mean, what if that described all of us in 2019? Wake up in the morning, the Lord said, come and talk to me. Tell me about what's on your schedule today. Hey, let's talk about the things you're afraid of. Let's talk about the things that you really messed up yesterday. Let's clear the ledger. So we can have a wide open relationship here. I heard you calling me, Lord, I'm coming. I mean, that's the idea behind prayer. But when you pray, go away, behind, go away by yourself, Jesus said. His disciples had asked him to teach him how to pray. And he said, then shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. And then your father who sees everything will reward you. Jesus said, talk to him like he's your dad. Call him dad. Tell him what you need. Dad, will you go with me to the neighbor's house? Dad, you want to come to graduation? Dad, will you come pray with me? I'm scared. Of course. So I know more than God does? Don't answer that. No, I, I mean, of course it's ridiculous. God knows infinitely more than any of us. He's the best dad ever. Well, then let's act like we have a dad. I can choose right now if I'm going to worry about stuff, and get all wrapped around the axle, or if I'm going to pray about it. I can choose right now. How I'm going to face those situations in 2019. So can you. Many of us last year lived like spiritual orphans, never even prayed to God about anything, worried about it, talked to a hundred different people about it, and didn't pray about it a lick. Not this year. Thirdly, I must fellowship with my Christian brothers and sisters. Matthew 18:20, Jesus is talking to his disciples how to handle it when somebody's caught up in sin and other things. And he says, you know, for where two or three are gathered together and for my followers, I'm right there among them. Okay, think about it this way. Let's say an orphan was adopted from another country, adopted into the family, and he was asking one of the other adopted kids, hey, how do we get along in this family? Well, dad loves you. That's why he adopted you. And he's got instructions for you. So he expects you to listen And he wants you to meet with him every day. He's going to tell you some things you need to know, and he expects you to listen and obey those things. Secondly, even if you blow it, just run to him; he'll forgive you. And if um, if you don't know what to do, tell him; he'll help you. Oh, and he also expects us to work on problems together. He loves it when we work together because we're all his kids. And you go, well, that makes sense. That makes sense. So why would I go through my life in 2019 all by myself? Why would I say, hey, I'm going to do better if I don't read God's word, if I worry instead of pray, and if I isolate myself from other people who are on the same journey? And that is exactly what the devil would have us do. I want you to hear from a man who's part of our church, Martin Wisniewski. I want you to hear his testimony. Of he began a relationship with God and how he, how he experiences God with him every day in his life. Would you watch the screens,
1: please? My name is Martin Wishnatsky. I was brought up Jewish. I consider myself Jewish. But there are all different kinds of Jewish people. Some believe in God and some don't. My family happened to be one that did not. And the little bit of faith that I picked up from Hebrew school, which wasn't a lot, but even so, a little feeling of God disappeared uh, during my higher education. I went to Harvard College, and all I learned about God during that time was that God was a myth that Moses invented to politically control the Jewish people, and that God was also something that people of weak minds who didn't inhabit the major universities used as a crutch to get through life. Having been so educated, I had no reason to think otherwise, God did not exist for me. I lived in a world with God left out, a true wilderness, but I didn't know it. And then I had a most extraordinary experience. (laughs) I was walking down the street in Waikiki in Honolulu, and a gypsy woman stopped me talk to me they pray on the tourists you know and she was just looking for someone she could get some money out of but it so happened that she knew something that I didn't know she knew that Jesus was real and she sat me down she waved a white handkerchief and she said Jesus take away his sins and that was the most extraordinary moment in my life I broke down crying and I had an immediate revelation that I was a sinner And let me tell you, that explained a lot about my life. But I never considered that I was a sinner. I'd never heard that before. Well, I had to find out more. So I rushed out to a bookstore and bought a Bible. And I opened up that book, and I heard God speaking to me. And that's what turned my life around. Truth, truth written in the Word of God taught me how to live, taught me what it was to be a sinner, and then turning the page from the Old Testament to the New, hearing the voice of Jesus as he walked through Galilee. I said, you know what? This is the same voice as the God of the Old Testament. There's no difference. And then to see that my problem of being a sinner had been solved for me by somebody else, and all I had to do was say, yes, Lord, yes. And I did. That was 40 years ago. It hadn't been a smooth road all the time. The Lord said, through much tribulation, you shall enter the kingdom of God. On December 1st, I got a diagnosis that I had a tumor at the bottom of my esophagus near my stomach. And all of a sudden, what I thought was a digestive problem became a cancer problem. But it didn't freak me out. It sobered me up somewhat because i realized i had more to deal with than i thought but it didn't bother me in the sense of being devastated because god has been with me for 40 years every single day leading and guiding my steps the steps of a good man are ordered by the lord thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path is god going to leave me because i'm having a health crisis He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. That's Hebrews 13, 5. I'll never leave you or forsake you. Now when I have some kind of an illness, all of a sudden God disappears. I don't think so. No, God is faithful. It's man who you can question his loyalty, but not God. He has called us to be his sons, his children. He's adopted us. He's our father in heaven. He even says, call no man father on earth. Because you have one Father who is in heaven. And he says, casting all your cares upon him, for he careth for thee. I don't have anything to worry about. I truly don't have anything to worry about. Whatever this is or it isn't, it'll take care of itself. God is with me every morning that I get up. And he's going to take care of it each day and show me what I need to know for that day. And that is sufficient for me.
0: Look, I want all of us to know that this next year. If you know what I was praying for this service today, it's this, that we take a long, hard look at ourselves and go, hey, Lord, I'm not a spiritual orphan. You are with me in the good times, the bad times, the wilderness times. When I'm sick in the hospital, when I get a bad diagnosis, whatever it is, you're with me. I will not be anxious, fearful, and afraid. I will not worry about everything. I'm going to surrender to you. And that's a choice. And so I would tell you is the key to go from one side to the other is surrender. Surrender all our problems through prayer. Surrender to his will when he shows us in his word. Surrender the things that were revealed when we are in fellowship with others. And say, hey, you don't need to do that. You need to do more of that. Okay, All three of those things, are Bible reading plans will help you. We have connect groups. You need to sign up today if you're not in one already. That's what we're doing to help you with these things. And we have a thing coming up uh, week, in a couple of weeks. We have a thing called seven days of prayer. We're going to help you learn how to pray. This is so important because it's the key to go from here to here. God never wanted us to live our lives on our own. He doesn't expect us to. He's with us. He'll help us. Will you pray with me? Oh, Lord, I thank you that I am not a spiritual orphan in this world. I thank you that you will be with me in the good times and the bad times this year. I thank you that you did not abandon me or leave me to figure out everything on my own, but you sent the Holy Spirit to be my teacher and guide. So right now, I open up my heart wide open to the Holy Spirit I want you to help me, Lord. I want you to guide me. And I don't want to live like an orphan anymore. Father, I give you thanks for your word. Please open my eyes to what you want me to read. Soften my heart so I can surrender control to you. Lord, I thank you for allowing me to bring my cares and concerns to you. In prayer, please teach me to learn on you and not be so busy all the time. Lord, Help me make time with you a priority. I can't figure things out on my own. And finally, Lord, I thank you that I have brothers and sisters in Christ, in the family, who can help me and I can help them. Please guide me into meaningful relationships this year. I need you and so do they. I pray for our church, Father that will be all that you want us to be. We won't be an orphanage, but we'll be a family. Oh God, I pray these things in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. And I know that you hear us because we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen